Welcome to Practical Christian Living. We know that God is God because God has brought Israel back into the land again. Never has there been a nation created by God through Abraham, Israel, taken into captivity by Syria and Babylon, gone back into the land again, Judah from Babylon, taken out of the land again by the Romans, and then brought back into the land again. And God foretold it. Israel is a nation today because God foretold it and because God has not forsaken the nation of Israel. Today we bring you more from Ezekiel chapter 37 as we continue our series looking at how current events and unrest in the Middle East all point to prophecy fulfilled and further confirmation that we are living in the last days. Here's Robert Furrow. You can open up your Bibles with me to Ezekiel chapters 37 through 39. We will not cover all of them tonight. Uh, we'll take time at another point to dive in a little bit closer, but we're gonna do a little bit of an overview in Ezekiel 37, 38, and 39 tonight. Uh, this is prompted by the crisis that we've had in the Middle East recently, uh, the attack uh, uh, by um, Hamas on Israel that we thought we would take some weeks and talk about Israel being a nation called by God. This is the wrap-up of that. We'll be back in the book of Hebrews uh, next Wednesday night. So with that said, your Bible's open to Ezekiel 37. Let's pray. Let's ask God to bless this time. Father, thank you so much again for the richness of your word. It is alive. It is powerful. It is strong. It is deep. It is rich. It moves in us as we get your word into our lives. Lord, we love the detail of your word, the mystery of your word. Even tonight, some of the things we're talking about will be mysteries. We love that. We love that it's not so elementary that we can't dive in, but we love the elementary truths of the Bible. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be here with us tonight as we talk about the nation of Israel. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So 700 B.C., the nation of Syria attacked Israel and took the nation of Israel into captivity. About 100 years later, with Isaiah and Hezekiah as king of Judah, you remember that there was a civil war in Israel and there were two nations. There was the northern nation, I think it's northern, northern nation of Judah, and the southern nation of Israel. The capital of Israel was Samaria. Ahab was a king of Samaria. There was not a lineage that went to David through the kingdom of Israel. Ten tribes were the kingdom of Israel. Two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, were the kingdoms of Judah. And so the, both of them stopped serving God. Both of them began to do all kinds of things that were wrong, and God brought judgment against them. He used Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Ezekiel as prophets to speak against them that they needed to repent, they needed to put away their false gods, they needed to stop doing the things that they were doing. And if you want to know what those are, study the book of Jeremiah, study the book of Ezekiel. They go into detail into exactly why God is going to displace them from the land. And so Assyria attacks. And I think it was at that point that Isaiah and Hezekiah were able to stand against them. And so Judea was not taken captive, but only the 10 tribes of Israel. And then about 100 years later, maybe 125, the Babylonians came against Judah and took Jerusalem and took them captive. 
And you can read about that at the end of the Kings and the Chronicles and what happens there. It's pretty brutal for the last king uh, that is there, but they're taken captive. Daniel, of course, is taken captive then. Ezekiel, I believe, goes to Egypt and prophesies from there during that time. And so when in Daniel and Nehemiah, when King Artaxerxes finally allows them to go back and rebuild the city of Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, we get that in Nehemiah and we get that in Ezra. It's not the nation of Israel that goes back. It's the nation of Judah. It's the two tribes. It's Judah and Benjamin that return back from Babylon. They are given the right to go and return to Jerusalem then. It's not all of the nations of Israel that have been scattered first by the Assyrians and then by the Babylonians in that dispersion. The only time that you have all of the people of Israel both the 10 lost tribes and the tribes of Judah that were still dispersed, gathered back into the land, was in the early part of the 20th century, where it went from just a few thousand Jews that were in Israel to today, 6.5 million. And if you go and talk to them there, there are Jews that are there from Poland. There are Jews that are there from Russia. There are Jews that are there from, from Lebanon. Lebanon has no more Jews in it today. They couldn't exist there. Syria doesn't have any Jews that live in Syria, although for thousands of years there were Jews that lived in Syria. Syria doesn't have any Jews there today. These would be the 10 lost tribes. They're not lost tribes because we didn't know where they went. See, that's people misuse that. You, you get people who say, will tell you Europeans are the lost tribes of Israel. That's silly, right? There's a lot of reasons it's silly that I'm not going to go into today. But we know that they were pushed out up into Europe, into Western and Eastern Europe. And we know that they kept their identity because they continued to keep portions of the law. They were lost tribes because they lost track of what tribes they were from. They don't know if they were from Manasseh. They don't know if they were from Ephraim. They don't know if they were from Dan. Those that come back from Judah, those that can trace their lineage back to that time, because remember again, when Israel was attacked by the Romans, they were dispersed again. And now they have all come back into the land. And God said, I will show you that I am God by bringing Israel back into the land. If you want to know what those passages are, then you can go back and reference our two last studies on Wednesday night. One of them is called Israel in the last days and the Bible. The other one is called, which, which, what was our title of our one? Oh, um, the rebirth of the nation of Israel. That was the one from last week. So we talked about all of those passages where God showed who he was. We know that God is God because God has brought Israel back into the land again. Never has there been a nation created by God through Abraham, Israel, taken into captivity by Syria and Babylon, gone back into the land again, Judah from Babylon, taken out of the land again by the Romans and then brought back into the land again. And God foretold it. And he said the second time they go back into the land, the first time taken out by Babylon, the second time by the Romans, the second time they come back into the land, they will not be removed again. They will remain in the land. And even when the Antichrist attacks them, the Bible talks about a remnant remaining in the land. So there will be a remnant that remain in the land. Now, we, um, we begin here in Ezekiel 37. If you got your Bible, I just want you to kind of look at this um, because we have the Valley of Dry Bones and I don't have time tonight to read all the way through this passage. Ezekiel is called by God into this valley where he sees bones all piled up. 
And he says, son of man, can these live again? And Ezekiel says, you know, <laughs> I don't know, God, you do. And God says, well, tell them to live, prophesy to them. So Ezekiel prophesies to them and they come back to life. In verse four of chapter 37, again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinew and, and bring flesh upon you cover you with skin and breathe in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. When this happens, you will know that I am the Lord. God's doing this so we will know that it's God. So I prophesied as I was commanded and I prophesied and there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And again, he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, breath come into them. And they lived. They stood upright on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. And then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and performed it, says the Lord. So he does this for Israel so that they will know that God has done it. And if you go to Israel today, you will talk to people who are secular. They believe in God, but they don't have any real relationship with God. They, they, they have some form of worship, but it's not in depth, but they will still talk about God bringing them back into the land. The people of Israel today know. Now, if you talk to Jewish scholars today, biblical scholars, Old Testament Jewish scholars, we'll put it that way, they will tell you that this was a picture of the Holocaust. That if you go to Ravenbrook or any of the other concentration camps, when these people were rescued, they were nothing more than skin and bones. That was the place of their grave. So many of them were buried there. So many died there. Six million killed by Hitler alone. Millions of others killed by Stalin and, and, and the other tyrants that were around during those days. It was not only Hitler that did these, these anti-Semitic moves against them. And then the land, that's 19, the, the World War II ends in 44. Am I right? 1944? Five? Okay, so the World War, II, World War II ends in 45, okay? In 48, they become a nation. In 48, God, they declare in, in one night, Ben-Gurion, who is the George Washington, the modern-day George Washington of Israel, that we are a nation and they become a nation. And the Bible, it said, can a nation be born again in a day? As soon as Zion went into labor, she gave birth. And, and it happened. Suddenly, they became a nation. And many of them came from the concentration camps on boats directly to their homeland and were brought back into Israel. They came in and lived there in Israel. Obviously, it was three years later, but they came back into that land before they were a nation, just as this said that it would happen. And God promised that these things would be. Now, the second part of 37 talks about two sticks and the two sticks coming together. 
These two sticks represent the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel. And because Ephraim was the largest of the tribes of Israel, he references Ephraim for Israel. You remember that Ephraim was a divided nation. They were, part of them stayed on the west side of the Jordan and part of them on the east side. I guess part of them stayed on the east side and part of them came over to the west side. I think that's the way it works. But anyway, Ephraim was divided by the Jordan River. They were a large tribe. And so it was said that they too would be brought together. So God was promising to them in Ezekiel 37 that not only would he bring them into the land, but he would bring them into the land as one nation. They would no longer be two, but they would be one. Look at verse 21 in chapter 37. So uh, then say to them, thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, not the children of Judah, the children of Israel from among nations, wherever they have gone and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel and one king shall be king over them. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. So the promise is that they would be one nation and they are one nation today. They are, do not continue to be that divided nation. Now, the rebirth of the nation of Israel, God bringing them into the land to show Israel who he is, that they would know that God is on their side and whom he is, allows there to be the war of Gog and Magog. And that is in chapter 38. And the title of this message is the Gog and Magog Wars. Because not only is there a Gog and Magog war in Ezekiel, but there's a Gog and Magog war in Revelation. Revelation chapter 20. When Satan is released after a thousand years, there's been no chance of people being deceived by him. He is released. He deceives the nations again and Gog and Magog come against Israel and God destroys them. He just burns down fire from heaven and he destroys them. So how can you have Gog and Magog after the millennium and Gog and Magog before the tribulation? Because that's what we find here. This war hasn't happened. We know the war of Ezekiel 38 and 39 hasn't happened because there's nothing in history like it. It has to be something, it has to be something yet in the future from us. And so let's talk about who these people are as we start chapter 38. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, set your face against Gog. This is an individual. It's a person. Set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshish, and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say to him, thus says the Lord God, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh. Now let's stop there for a moment before we continue on with this coalition of nations that comes against Israel. Who is this Gog? There's three different ideas. The most common in the last 40 years has been that this is from Russia. Not just because Rosh sounds like Russia, but because there are connections between all of these here in the north. And Magog, well, there's a reference to Magog. It says uh, Gog of Magog. So Magog is the land, Gog is the person. And there's a reference in Genesis chapter 10, which is the table of nations. In, in fact, we wanna do, I wanna do a whole study on just Genesis 10 because it's an amazing document about how people are spread all around the world. But that's not the study tonight. I just want you to look 
with me at the first few verses of Genesis 10, which is talking about the descendants of the sons of, of Noah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And you can follow people groups all around the world from this chapter. Chapter 10 of, of Genesis is an incredible document. It says in verse 1, now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The sons were born to them after the flood. Sons were not his sons were born after the flood, but sons were born to him after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer. We're going to read about them in a minute. Magog. Magog. So Gog is from Magog. And now you have, this is the descendants of Japheth in Gog. It goes on to say Tubal and Meshish a little bit later on. And we know from this scholars, not Ezekiel 38 and 39, but from Genesis chapter 10, that, that Magog is the northern region. Some say Turkey, and we'll get to that in a minute, but others say the far north, which is, is Russia. If you go directly north from Israel, you're going to get Turkey that's kind of off to the side, but up north. You're going to get Lebanon. You're going to get Syria. Syria borders Israel, right? And there's a, a devastating war that's been going on for a decade in Syria. And then you're going to get up to the far north. The second idea is that it is Turkey. This is becoming more popular. There have been some things that have found that put these places in Turkey instead. Turkey has a lot of Muslims in it. It's highly Muslim nation that would like to see Israel wiped off the face of the earth, that declare they want to see Israel wiped off the face of the earth. There is unrest in Turkey today for various reasons, partially because the economy is just absolutely a mess in Turkey. So that's a possibility. It's a possibility. It's Russia that right now Russia's involved in proxy wars all around the Middle East. So is the United States, by the way. We don't want to sound superior to Russia because Russia backs Iran, in fact, has a coalition with Iran who backs Assad, who is in Syria, and also backs Hezbollah, who is in Lebanon. These are all Shiite Muslims. And Hezbollah has 70, scratch that, conservative number, 100,000 missiles pointed at Israel today. Hezbollah does in Lebanon. We saw what Hamas did. Hamas has, Hezbollah is in partial control of the government of Lebanon. They actually hold parliament seats in Lebanon. Hezbollah does. Hezbollah literally means the army of God. And, and their goal, stated goal, is to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And then on the other side, so I just got sidetracked. So let me try to bring you back to where I was talking about. So I'm talking about the countries that Russia is doing a proxy war through, right? Iran, which is Muslim. Syria, which is, is Muslim. Lebanon, which is Muslim. And then you've got the United States, which backs Saudi Arabia, which is Muslim, right? And Saudi Arabia and there, there's a few other places that we back that are, are fighting against the others, and those are Sunni. And so you see that there is a division between the Shiites and the Sunni Muslims. They believe things differently, and they see things differently, and they will fight against each other at times. And the Sunnis in Saudi Arabia is supporting the rebels in Syria, and Russia and Iran is supporting is it Assad? Is that who the guy? Yeah, so Assad in Syria today, and it looks now like Assad's winning. That's what it looks like. Although Turkey has gotten involved in it now, 
Turkey has taken a strip of land from them. The Kurds have taken a section of land in Syria. So there's this mess. The, the Middle East is just like this mess with this proxy war of all of these people that are involved all around it. So the first two ideas is that it's, it's Russia, could be, or that it's Turkey, could be. But there's another thought. And this is where I'm starting to land. And that is that we are told in the book of Ephesians that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and a spiritual host in heavenly places. And we know from Daniel chapter 12 that Michael is the prince of Israel. Michael, that great prince, will, the prince of your people, will stand up one day. So God puts princes, these are demonic, these are angelic or demonic beings that have a high call. They're not your typical host of heaven. These are rulers. These are princes. You don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And in Daniel, we have Daniel praying, and Gabriel showing up, saying, I would have come sooner, but I had to fight the prince of Persia. Then he says, when he leaves, I must go and fight the prince of Greece. We know that Persia was in control during that time and Alexander the Great was going to come on and there were princes, these demonic spirits that were over these nations. And we believe from that and other places, by the way, I can't, don't have time to cover all of that tonight, but other places that there are angelic and demonic spirits called princes that are over nations. And so we go back to the beginning of 38 and we read this introduction of Gog and it says, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh. So it calls him a prince. He could be a human prince. I'm not saying he couldn't be. But I'm saying that it makes sense that if Gog is a territorial demonic prince, like the prince of Persia, like the prince of Greece, that he would come back again at the end of Revelation that when Satan is released, that this Gog over Magog would come back again with his influences and there would be a battle against this spiritual being once again. So as I said, I'm, I'm leaning that way. Again, I've reserved the right to change my mind, all right? But as I look at it, it makes a lot of sense that this person would be a demonic spirit. Now, it could be any one of those, but what happens to them? Well, they attack Israel. They come against Israel from all of their different places. Let's read about the rest of this coalition because that's important. We pick it up in verse four. He says, I will turn you around. I will put hooks in your jaw and I will lead you out with all of your armies, your horses and your horsemen, all splendidly clothed in a great company with buckles and with shields, all of them holding swords. Persia, Ethiopia and Libya are with them. Those all stand against Israel today. Persia is Iran, Ethiopia is parts of Africa, including the Sudan, and Libya, which, if you know anything about Libya, right? The, the destruction of the embassy, the United States embassy. So all, all of those are with them. So we see that this coalition is around today. That ought to be enough for us to go. We don't know what some of these places are. We don't know exactly where Tubal or Meshish or some of these other places are, but we know where Libya is, we know where Ethiopia is, we know where Persia is, and we know that they are in a coalition today with Russia to come against Israel, to fight against Israel. They want to see Israel completely destroyed. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.